Jesus Christ, your name is higher. Jesus Christ, your name is stronger. There is no other name given among men under heaven by which we must be saved other than your name. The name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, the Messiah, the Son of God, who came to earth to dwell among men, fully God, fully man, lived a perfect life, and went to the cross to pay the penalty for sin that we deserve so that by confessing you as our Lord and Savior, repenting of our sin and turning to you, we may find eternal life, eternal life. God, forgive us when we seek for true life in things of this world that cannot give it, perishable bread. Oh Lord, help us to eat of the true bread today and live. Eat of the true bread and live. So God, speak to us through your word. We need to hear from you. Find a church. Oh Lord, find a church that longs and hungers for the bread of life today. And we humble ourselves before you, casting our anxiety on you because you care for us and remove distractions from this place. Right now, we just choose in faith to say, Jesus, I give you this. I give you that conversation. I give you that situation. Right now, in faith, I cast that on you, knowing that you care for me. And as we humble ourselves under your sovereign and mighty hand at the due time, you will lift us up. May it be so, Lord. Be with my mouth. Guard it from error. Say what you want to say to your church. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, good morning, loved ones. Let's open up our Bibles to John chapter 6. John chapter 6, verses 52 to 59. If you do not have a copy of God's Word, our wonderful ushers are coming up right now, and they would love to put a Bible in your lap. So just put up your hand if you don't have a Bible with you, and they will put one there so you can follow along with us as we go verse by verse, line by line, continuing through John chapter 6, and it's on page 520 in those Bibles that are being handed out right now. And again, our text is John 6, 52 to 59. Well, here we are continuing on in our series called Life in the Sun, through the verse by verse, line by line, through the Gospel of John, and this is part two. We did part one last fall of chapters one to four, and here we are now in part two, chapters five to seven. And today marks the final day that we are looking at what's called the Bread of Life Discourse, one of the most beautiful and known passages in all of Scripture, the Bread of Life Discourse. And this is the first of seven I Am statements that Jesus makes about himself. Now recall, we have to understand, why does Jesus make it a point to emphasize these seven things that we're going to see here today, and then Lord willing, as we continue on through the Gospel of John, the other six. Why does Jesus make such a point to emphasize these? You'll see it on the screen. The purpose of the I Am statements is to define correctly who Jesus is as the Son of God. That first part is so crucial because we live in a society today that says Jesus can be whoever you want to make him to be. If it's more convenient to you that Jesus was just a man, that's who he is. If it's more convenient to you that Jesus was just a prophet, then okay, you go with that. 
It's so important that when we think about and understand rightly who Jesus is, we got to go to the mouth of the Savior himself, who he describes himself to be. So they are to define correctly who Jesus is as the Son of God, and then also describe his purpose in coming. In coming to save people from their sin and have life in him. That is the mission of Christ. The person and work of Christ, that is the gospel. To save people from their sin and have life in him. And so each of the seven I am statements throughout the gospel of John are all emphasizing a different aspect of this truth. And here in John chapter 6, he starts out with this, I am the bread of life. And this goes from verses 22 to 59. So let's break it down. For those of us who weren't here over the last couple of weeks, let's bring you all in on where we're at. Part one of the bread of life discourse in verses 22 to 29, Jesus used to emphasize our need for the bread of life, to get us to recognize our need for it. And he starts out by uh, addressing the mob, the Jewish mob, with the question of what are you laboring for? Are you laboring for the bread that perishes of this world or are you laboring for the food that endures to eternal life? And then in part two, verses 30 to 40, Jesus tells us where we get the bread of life from. He says it comes from one place, God alone. You're not going to find it in the stuff of this world. It comes from one place, from God alone, and through one person, Christ alone. And then in part three, verses 41 to 51, Jesus emphasizes how we get the bread of life. So he emphasized where we get it and now how we get it. And as we saw last week, we must be taught by God. God must be the one to draw us to himself and open our eyes to see the truth. And now today in verses 52 to 59, as we close out the discourse, part four is what's the result of those who eat of the bread of life? What's the result of believing in Christ and having life for eternity. What happens when we receive it? Well, here's the the result we're going to see today. We are made alive in Christ and given true life. We are given true life. And why is it so important? Jesus emphasizes this last exchange with this Jewish mob to emphasize this truth. Well, here's why. Because there's a question Loved ones, hear this. There is a question that haunts the heart of every one of the nine billion plus people on this planet every day. Every decision you and I make is reflective of the trying to answer this question. And the question is this, ready? Write this down. Where can I find true life? Where do I believe life is truly found? A life that is satisfying. A life that is fulfilling. A life that is peaceful. A life that is joyful. A life that is secure. And ultimately a life that is eternal. But the problem you and I face every day, I faced it this week, probably you too, is that we try to find true life in so many other things that cannot give it. We eat the bread of the world again and again and again. 
And the result is we spend our lives chasing after what this world says are life givers that can't deliver what they promise. Any quote unquote life giver from the world will always over promise and under deliver. You say, what do you mean by that? Here's a few examples. Number one, money. Just have enough money and you'll have the life you always wanted. You sure? You sure about that? You know, Rockefeller said, one of the richest guys in uh, the world, he was asked, so how much money is enough? He was interviewed by a magazine. How much money is enough? And all he could say was a little bit more. What does that tell you? This is a guy who had everything this world has to offer. A little bit more. Never satisfied. Never fulfilled. How about this? Status. Status. If I just get the status at the job, if I just get the highest degree, if I just get the, should we work hard? Yeah, as, absolutely, as unto the Lord. Not for the praise of man, not for the status and position in society to climb the next rung of the ladder and think that somehow we're gonna be fulfilled and that's where true life is found. How about in our relationships? Get married and you'll find true life in that relationship. True life, true love, right? True love, true life, right? You're in for disappointment. I love my wife. I'd give my life for her. But I can't be looking to her to satisfy what only God can. That's putting an expectation on her that will crush her. My grades, we have so many students here. Love you so much. But are we looking to find satisfying life in my achievement in the classroom? Is this where I believe true life is found? Because if it is, then God's word goes to the shelf and my textbook comes in front of me. Priorities. Well, this, possessions, positions. How about control? Do I believe true life is found in me being able to control everything? Control my kids' behavior, control my schedule, control, control, control. And box in my life so I'm in this protective bubble. Is that where true life is found, really? Here, the desire for control is there's a fear underlying that. Is that where true life is found, really? Is that life-giving? Acclamations. I mean, mean, think about this, loved ones. Look at your past week. Even now, I'm convicted right now. And I ask the question, how's that working for you, chasing those things? How's that truly working? You finding what you're after? You finding what satisfies? You finding the peace? Or are you just getting more anxious trying to get those and then keep them? Where is true life truly found? Loved ones, we will not find it there. Why? Because that's all perishable bread. And you'll see this. This is going to set the tone for the rest of today. True life only comes from true bread. True life only comes from true bread. Bread. And here in our text, we're going to see two life changing and life giving truths that we must embrace, loved ones, if we are to find true life and live in it both now and for eternity. Let's honor the authority of God's word as we stand to read our text today. John chapter 6, verses 52 to 59. Two life giving, life changing truths we must embrace right here. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, here's a sobering word, underline this, you have no life in you. Let me say that again. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. And Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, what we see so clearly here in these first four verses of this text is this. True life is only found by believing in the person of Christ, and it's an exclusive path. True life is only found by an exclusive path, believing in the person of Christ. Let's get our context. And our context is really given in verse 59. Did you catch that? Jesus is teaching in the Capernaum synagogue. And you'll see, you'll see here in a moment where uh, that map is coming up where Capernaum is. But the question that he confronts us with as he's teaching here is this. True life is found through Christ alone. Will I believe in him? Exclusive path. And here he is in Capernaum. You'll see it on the screen. There's Capernaum, the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee. And he's in the synagogue. He's in the synagogue. Now check this out. So this is an aerial shot of Capernaum, what you see on the map. Next picture. So here it is. Here's the aerial shot. Now you notice, Capernaum is just a fishing village. We tend to have an idea, like Capernaum's this massive city. There it is. You can see it outlined. That's the walls around it. It's a little tiny fishing village. And this was Jesus' home base for most of his ministry. And the synagogue, you see, is the biggest building right in the middle there. And so can we show the close-up of the synagogue there, guys? Next, that's where we are. Okay, so Jesus is teaching in this little fishing village in the synagogue at Capernaum. And remember, this is just the day after he's finished performing the miracle of feeding the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish, more like 20,000 when you count women and children. And the result of that miracle, this mob, this multitude, this crowd of people has followed him across the lake and found him in the synagogue and they want more. And they start to question him. They're not following him to believe in him. They want their stomachs filled. They want him to perform for them. More signs, Jesus, please. And as you have recalled from last week, if you were here, the mood in this meeting, in this synagogue right now, has turned increasingly hostile, offensive, and there's an increasing rejection that the Jews have towards Christ. Because he's just finished telling them, if you recall, last week, that no one can eat the bread of eternal life unless they believe in him as the Messiah, because he is the bread of life. And he declares, if you remember, he declares he's greater than Moses. Now, Moses was like an A-list all-star for the Jews. To say you're greater than Moses is putting yourself at an authority and a level that only God could claim in their eyes. 
And here's Jesus saying this. He declared the manna that God gave the Israelites in the wilderness that could only sustain them one day at a time. That bread he dropped in the desert each day for 40 years. That was nothing, Jesus says, compared to the true bread that he's willing to give them that will lead to eternal life and not just sustain them for a day. And what's the bread he's given the world? It's not flakes from heaven. The bread that he's giving the world is his flesh. Remember in verse 51? His flesh. And so this ticks them off even more. What do you mean? What do you mean the true bread is your flesh? Why is this such a blasphemous statement? Well, we have to understand. Look at at their response in verse 52 and you'll see why. The Jews then disputed among themselves. So they're ticked. And they're disputing among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? These Jews are shocked and completely offended. The word disputed there in the Greek means this, severely angered. There's a heated dispute. And they're not, some aren't agreeing, and then some are, and they're kind of disputing. Well, I think this is true. No, 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 no. The heated dispute means it's all against Jesus. There's a severely heated and angry argument that is developing here against Christ. Why? We've got to understand. These Jews adhered strictly to what's called the Mosaic Law. In the Old Testament, you can read about it in Leviticus 17, verses 10 to 14. Anyone who thinks Leviticus doesn't point to Jesus Christ, nah, just wrong. Because here's Jesus using Leviticus to point to himself. That's amazing. Leviticus 17, 10 to 14. And in that law that God gave Moses on Mount Sinai, he said the Jews were prohibited. His people were prohibited from drinking blood and eating meat with the blood still in it. Before they ate any meat, they had to drain the blood out. And so this, if you weren't to do this, that was a complete offense against God. And so knowing that they would be thinking this, Jesus presses in deeper and declares, look at 53 to 55. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. That's a blasphemous statement to them. What? Eating meat with blood, drinking blood? God prohibited that. Who do you think? You you call yourself the son of God? You think you're the Messiah? You're going against everything God said. We're not going to believe you. We're going to kick you out of the synagogue. We're going to throw you off a cliff, as they tried to do many times. But look at this. Verse 54, he goes on. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. 55. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. See, here's, here's what's happening here. The Jews are getting really hostile against him because they're misunderstanding him. They're misunderstanding him, and they think that he's speaking literally about the Jews having to eat pieces of his flesh. Here's a little chunk for you, a little chunk over here. Jesus is not talking literal here. He's speaking spiritual truths using physical descriptions, just like he does in a parable. He's using it here again. And Jesus is speaking figuratively and he's teaching like parables when he says, eats, if you eat whoever eats or feeds from my flesh and drink of my blood, here's what he's saying. Let's break it down. Unless you believe in me exclusively, 
unless you believe in me and put your faith in me exclusively that I am the Messiah, I am the Savior, the only Savior, who came to earth to save you, to pay the penalty for your sin on the cross, and to endure the wrath of God on your behalf because of your sin. And if you fail to believe that I died for you, here's the reality, that sobering word that I told you to underline, verse 53, you will have no eternal life. You, there is no life in you if that's missing. You can look anywhere you want, but at the end of the day, this is the one path. He says, it is only through my body being crushed for you and my blood being spilled for you that you may receive the forgiveness of sin and have eternal life in me. Here's here's what he's saying as well. If you reject me, if you refuse to believe in me as the Savior, if you keep running to Moses, if you keep running to other things, other gods, to try to gain eternal life, you will, verse 53, never have it. There is no life in you. No matter what the culture around you promises, there will be no life. And you will not be raised up to life with me on the last day when I return. Verse 54. You will be separated from me in the hopelessness and torment of hell for eternity. Why? Why? Because my flesh is the true food. The word true there, here's what it means. Real food. Life-giving. life nourishing, life-sustaining, and ultimately life-saving. My flesh is the true food, my flesh that I'm offering up for you, and my blood is the true drink, the cleansing and forgiving blood, and all others you try to run to won't lead you to eternal life but death because nothing else can provide it. No life in you. What we see very clear, loved ones, and what we must understand from this, the big idea of these four verses is right here. See it on the screen. Without life in Christ, there's no true life at all. And Jesus just hangs it out there in the synagogue. He knows they're going to reject him. We're going to see in a moment. We're going to see next week. He knows the hearts of people. He knows who's sitting there watching him listening, but inside rejecting him, just like he knows it in us today. Who's receiving it? Who's listening? Who's rejecting? But he says, without me, there's no life at all. Only true food gives true life. And so today, just stop today. Let's bring this into today. 21st century. First century, now into the 21st century. Have things changed? Not so much. Not so much. Is this a popular message in culture today? True life, eternal life, salvation only found in Christ alone. Popular? Thumbs up popular, thumbs down not popular. Yeah, there you go. Lots of thumbs down. Of course there is. It's not popular to declare there's an exclusive path to God 
There's an exclusive path to eternal life. Why? Loved ones, because we live in a society that says there's many ways to God. There's many ways. You can believe what you want to believe. If that God's working for you, follow them. You can believe in those gods, but you can also believe in Jesus. Just in case these gods don't work out, you can have your back. There's some religions in the world today that have over 30 million gods to cover every aspect of their lives, just in case the other one doesn't work out. You can believe in Jesus and say you believe Jesus, but then you can trust in yourself to earn your way to heaven. You can trust in your good deeds to get you salvation. You can believe in Jesus too. That's called, that's what the Judaizers were doing. Or this one, all religions lead to and worship the same God. No, they don't. Why? Don't be deceived, loved ones. Why is that not true? Because only one, only one religion leads us to Jesus as the Messiah and the true worship of him. And without him, there's no life. It's not popular today, is it? But Jesus isn't concerned about being popular. He's concerned about proclaiming life-saving truth. And you see, here, when I dug on this a little deeper today, or this week, as I was prepping this, rejection of Jesus as the exclusive way to salvation is not just a problem among those who are rejecting him actively, but it's also a problem among those who are claiming him as their savior. You say, what do you mean? How is that possible? Get this, I'm so sobered by this, loved ones. According to the latest Pew Research study in 2014, ready for some stats on this? 2014, 66% of professing Bible-believing Christians, get this, this is in the United States, not very different from here, believe that many religions lead to eternal life. 66% of those claiming to be Christian believe there are many ways to eternal life. And what's even more sobering, this non-exclusive view of way to salvation, 80% of the Protestants that were surveyed in this study, the Protestants that believe like what they would say, we believe what, the same thing, 80% of them say Jesus isn't the only way to salvation. And that, in the United States, is coming from a so-called Christian nation. So we would be deceiving ourselves to think that this is a first century problem. And when I, let me clarify something, because you're a lot about that term exclusive today. Exclusive here is not talking as exclusive as Jesus is racist or prejudiced against certain people groups. Let's make something very clear. The gospel is for all. John 3.16 makes that clear. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation. 
But when he's talking about exclusive, he's talking about there's only one way to him. God is saying there's only one way to me. He tells us that in verse 53, and he tells us that in John 14, 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. Not but through your good works, not but through other gods you want to worship, your good deeds, through me. Scripture will interpret Scripture. And that's just two of the verses for that. True life is found in Christ alone. Here's a question we're confronted with right now. Will you believe in him? That he is the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through him. And you're here and you may have never you know, surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. It's not an accident you're here. I'm so thankful that God in his sovereignty brought you here. And you may say, well, how do I do this? How do I believe that? We repent of our sin. That means we turn from it, turn from walking in ourselves, other gods, making ourselves the focus of our lives. We turn from our sin and we turn towards Jesus and say, Jesus, you are the Lord and you are my Savior. Please forgive me of my sin. He says, yes, come as you are. You won't stay as you are, but come as you are. Right there. Life is found in no other place but you, Jesus. I'm done running the race of this world. Hey, believers, brothers and sisters in this room who have made that decision to follow Jesus Christ, here's the question we're confronted with by this. Will you stand for him? Will you stand for him? Or will you be one of the 66%? Will you stand in how we disciple our children in this church? Because they're going to face this on a whole other level. Will we stand for Jesus Christ in how we teach them and how we train them? Will we stand for him in our small groups, how we declare his name? Will we stand for him in the workplace and declare his truth, even if it means, ready, ready? Here's what it means. Even if it means you're rejected, your coworkers, your neighbors, just as Jesus is getting rejected right here, he says, if they rejected me, the teacher, they're gonna reject you too. Even if it means you and I are mocked, our reputation gets tainted. Oh, there's, there's that guy. He believes Jesus. Don't invite him. No, you're gonna miss out on that get-together. But this, even if it means you don't get the job or position because you declare Jesus Christ and stand with him. If it means you don't get the customers in your business because you exalt Jesus Christ overall. If it means, students, you don't get the grades when your teacher looks at your paper and says, you need to change your viewpoint. If it means you don't get the same opportunities as others, will you acknowledge Jesus Christ before man, no matter the cost? We'll look more at that next week. 
Jesus says if we acknowledge him before man, he will acknowledge us before his father. But if we deny him before man, he will deny us. This is what an exclusive path to God through Jesus Christ to salvation means. And we have to realize this. Our answer to this question, will we stand for him in that moment, in that conversation, is a very quick indicator of where you believe, you and I believe, true life is really found. In the praise of man, in the appeasement of man, in a job, in the contacts, in the business, or in Christ alone. That's a very quick indicator of where we believe true life is really found. True life is only found by believing in an exclusive path and believing in the person of Christ. And when we believe in him, here's the result. Last point today is this. We live in the power of Christ with an abiding presence. We live in the power of Christ with an abiding presence. And the question we are confronted with from these last four verses is this. To have life in Christ is to abide with Christ. This is staggering. Can't wait. Abide with Christ. Am I abiding in him? Am I abiding in him? Look at verses 56 and 57. Whoever, Jesus says, gospel for all, right there, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. See, Jesus states that whoever feeds on his flesh or drinks, on his, or drinks his blood, remember, that means believes in him, and his work on the cross and puts one's faith in him alone as Lord and Savior, what does he say? Greatest, oh, this is staggering news, right here. They will abide in him and he will abide in them. Okay, let's get the full picture. The word abide there, write this beside the word abide. This is so important. You'll see it on the screen. It means to remain. The Greek means to remain, to maintain fellowship through a mutual indwelling. That's awesome. A mutual indwelling. Me in Christ, Christ in me. The moment we believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, repent of our sin and receive him as Lord. Look what happens. We are given a new life in him. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Josh said it earlier. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone and behold, the new has come. That's good news, amen? There's the beautiful truth of the gospel. And, and think, when Jesus says he makes you and I new creations, he's not just talking about, well, I'll just kind of give you a little facelift. I'll just kind of buff up this like dent or this bruise, that spot right there. No, no, no. It means brand new. You and I are made brand new through life in Jesus Christ, not just a facelift. He says, you have a new life in me. And he gives us, here's the beautiful thing, upon the moment of salvation, he gives us his presence to dwell in us intimately and empower us for godly living. That's great news. He lives in us and we live in him. Yet not I, but Christ in me. There's the beautiful truth. And Jesus says in verse 57 that just as God the Father is living and he lives in the same power as the Father because they're both 
They're equally God, one God, three distinct persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Whoever feeds on him will also live because of Christ's power and presence that abides in him. Here's the beautiful thing. If you are truly saved in Jesus Christ, his presence cannot be taken from you. The Holy Spirit is a seal, is a guarantee of our salvation. Now, it's important to get some clarity. We want to be good students of the Bible, so let's get some clarity here. When Jesus says in verse um, 57 that he lives because of the Father, don't, don't be fooled on this. You say, well, wait a second. He lives because of the Father. Does that mean God created him? If he lives because of the Father? How is Jesus living because of the Father? Jesus, didn't he exist eternally? John 1.1? 1, 1? In the beginning was God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Well, the Word's Jesus Christ. Wait a second. What do you mean he lives because of the Father? Let's get our proper hermeneutics on here, loved ones, our interpretation. He isn't saying that he was created by God the Father. He's saying that eternal life, okay, that the eternal life he gives is the same life that God the Father, of God the Father that comes through him. It's the same life of God the Father, the very one they are so focused on worshiping. God the Father, Jesus is like, it's the same life because we are the same God. We are the same God. And it comes, the life of God comes through Christ into our lives and makes us spiritually alive. That's what he's speaking of here. And as we continue to abide with Christ and feed on him. Now, here's the thing. In the context, Jesus is talking about he comes to abide in us, the moment of salvation. We abide in him. We are adopted by him and given new life in him, and he comes to live in us. Now, here's the thing, though. Abiding, notice the word feeds, whoever feeds on me. Yes, there's an initial acceptance and reception of salvation and faith in Christ, but then there's an ongoing feeding that needs to happen, an ongoing abiding. Feeding not just for the moment of salvation, but daily, a daily dwelling with the Lord, a daily remaining before the Lord. We live in the power of God and live out the eternal life we have in him increasingly as we do that. Now and all the way into eternity with him when we will know it in full. Does it, hey loved ones, does it, if, you're, if you're saved in this room, let me ask you a question. Does it still stagger you that God Almighty himself lives inside of you? That when you and I walk into a room, God walks in the room, he's living in us and ready to empower us for his service. We're not God, but he lives inside of us. He abides in us. When you're scared to, when you're asked about your faith, in that moment, God is right there. And he's like, come on, loved one. I'll give you the words. Will you open your mouth? Don't be afraid. It is the power of God. Like, it's mind-blowing what it means that Jesus abides in us. It is the power of Christ that strengthens us in our weakness. And we're like, God, I can't go anymore. I'm sick. I'm, I'm defeated. I'm fearful. I can't go anymore. It's the power of God in that moment that says, get up, loved one. I will be your strength and your shield. I will give you what is needed in that moment of your weakness. It's the power of God inside of us, loved ones, that emboldens us when we're fearful, 
What are we going to say to my classmates today? What are we going to say to my boss today? What are we, it emboldens us in that moment as the power of God through Jesus Christ inside of us gives us the words to speak. Courageously clear about who we believe and what we believe and to show the love of the gospel to someone even in the face of adversity. When they're attacking us, it is the power of God inside of us in that moment that does not retaliate, but instead points them to the Savior. In that moment, it gives us, the power of God gives us faith when we want to doubt in that moment. Can I trust your promise, God? I don't see, my bank balance isn't measuring up, my health isn't, can I trust your promise that you will provide for all, it is the power of God that allows us to determine by faith to say I choose to stand on God's word. I will not give in to that fear. I will not give in to the unbelief. My God is faithful. And that comes from the power of God because we can't manufacture that on our own. That is, yet not I, but Christ in me. It allows us to stand on the truth in the face of deception. When you're in a conversation and someone says, like Satan, did God really say? You could say, yes. That's the power of God in that moment, the power of discernment, the power of clarity of truth, the power to stand in confidence when we feel intimidated, the power that gives us humility in that conflict with our spouse, with our children, with our coworkers, to not retaliate, the power to overcome sin when we're tempted with lust, when we're tempted with pornography, when we're tempted with gluttony. It's the power of God inside of us that says, you don't need to go there, loved one. The bread of life is this way. Start feasting on me, and you'll see that for what it truly is. Jesus abiding in us and us in him. And to give you a snapshot of what abiding truly means, with Christ in us, the moment of salvation, and then as that is cultivated through a daily dwelling with the Lord, a fellowship with the Lord in our quiet time, as we gather as the church, I'm gonna show you a snapshot in this video of what living in the power of God looks like as he abides in us and as we abide in him daily. And from this, as we continue to eat the bread of life daily. I'm gonna show you, because it's really hard to quantify. You say, how do you quantify abiding? Let's just let the word of God show its power off here for a moment. Let's roll that, guys. There was a recent study by the Center for Bible Engagement where they pulled uh, 40,000 general population in the U.S. from eight to 80, and they just wanted to see how we are engaging with Scripture. Right. And they discovered something that actually became kind of the profound discovery of the entire study. It, they weren't even looking for this, and this is kind of became the highlight of the study. Right. Um, when we're in the scripture one time a week, and that could be church on Sunday. That's pastor saying you open your Bible, we hear the message. One time a week had negligible effect on some key areas of your life. So I'll, I'm going to spell that out more here in a moment. Two times a week negligible effect. Now at three times a week, there was a blip on the map, like there was a heartbeat. Something happened, again, a heartbeat. But here was the profound discovery. When we're in the scripture four times a week, it literally spikes off the chart. 
you would expect that it'd be one, two, th I mean, there'd be a gradual incline right. on the effect and impact that would have in your life, but it was literally one, two, three, four, something radically happens. Okay, you got my curiosity. To this what, extent. What kind of behavior is being affected? Feeling lonely drops 30%. Wow, Ang four times a week in the four Bible. Four times a week in the Bible. Okay. Anger issues drop 32%. Uh, bitterness in relationships, marriage, a relationship with your kids, and so on, drops 40%. Alcoholism drops 57%. Feeling spiritually stagnant. You know, if there was one area when I'm talking with people that, that they'll be honest about is they just feel spiritually stagnant. Ask them the question, how much time are you spending in Scripture? If they're in the Scripture four times a week or more, it drops 60%. Wow. Viewing pornography drops 61%. That's very important. Now, on a flip positive side, sharing your faith wow. jumps 200%. Wow. Because you have a confidence in God's Word. And then discipling others jumps 230%. That's, that's amazing right there. Jesus says, I will abide in you. And you abide in me. What that video didn't show as I researched through that study, another result is that for, we are 407% more likely to memorize Scripture. 407%. Jesus spells this out very clearly. It's no, wonder, it's no wonder Satan works so hard to keep you and I out of our Bibles. Statistically speaking, 85% of professing believers are not in their Bible every day, spending time in God's Word. I'm not talking about just giving a little flyby. He says, be still, Psalm 46.10. Be still and know that I am God. Don't put me on your drive-thru. Be still and dwell with me. Fellowship with me. And know that I am God. He spells it out, Jesus does in John 15. Look at this next slide. You'll see it on the screen. He says this, abide in me. There's the word again. Remain, dwell with me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. Hey, loved ones, your job's not the vine. Your spouse isn't the vine. Your kids aren't the vine. The alcoholism isn't the vine. The pornography isn't the vine. Jesus says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Staggering. No power. No life, no hope. Why? Sums it up in verse 58. Sums the whole discourse up in verse 58. Let's look. This is the bread that came down from heaven. What you saw right there was evidence of true life. The true bread that comes down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate, not the bread of this world and died, but whoever feeds on this bread, here it is, ready, will live forever. To have life in Christ is to abide with Christ. Question, loved ones, are you abiding with him? 
Are you abiding in him? Or is your schedule crowding him out? Non-believers here, those of you who haven't confessed Christ as your Savior, how do you start? Believe in Christ and his work of salvation on the cross on your behalf and that he loves you and came to die for you and surrendered your life to him as Lord and Savior. You may leave here and you'll be like, that's not for me. You have a choice. You have that choice. But I will tell you, loved one, on the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ himself, there's no bread of life. There is no true life. You will not find it. Followers of Christ, brothers and sisters in this room, let me ask you the question. Are you continually, constantly feeding on the bread of life each day by abiding with him in his living power? Does your life increasingly reflect the truth that apart from him, you can do nothing and that you are totally dependent on him? In the priorities of abiding with him in his word, remaining, being still each day. There's no set, don't be like, well, 30 minutes, 50 minutes, is that, just get alone with you and God. Get up earlier if you need to. Go to bed earlier if you need to. Just get alone and dwell with him and fellowship with him. How about abiding with him in prayer and worship as prayer is a sign of our dependence on him, saying, God, I cannot do this. You are worthy and I am needy. Are you abiding with him in obedience we abide through obedience as he empowers us through his power and presence in us. Where do we need to repent of where we're not being obedient and we're making excuses for our sin? Where do you need to come back to him and make that your priority? Because true life is only found by an exclusive path, believing in the person of Christ and in an abiding presence, living in the power of Christ. And as Jesus finished saying these things in that Capernaum synagogue, he confronts the Jews and us with the question of this. You'll see it on the screen. Write it down. Take it with you in work today, in school today. Will you eat this bread and live? Will you? You have a choice. And we'll see how the Jews answered next week. But how will you answer it today? Let's pray. Jesus Christ, you said you are the bread of life. You are the bread of life. Whoever comes to you shall not hunger, and whoever believes in you shall never thirst. Father, I pray that by your mercy, you would be opening up our eyes and our hearts and our minds to hear and understand and receive that truth today, that apart from you, we can do nothing. There is no salvation. There is no eternal life. There is no true life. In the spirit right now, God, as you are at work, Holy Spirit, would you please find a people ready to repent and say, Jesus, I repent of this. Help me to eat of the true life from true bread. I need your help. I can't do it on my own. And God, remind us again and again daily of the beautiful gospel promise that you will not ask from us what you're not first willing to do in us. 
because you abide in us. May we be filled with, yes, conviction and repentance, but hope. Hope that you will not leave us or forsake us in our sin. Your love is greater than that. Your power is greater than that. And you say, come, taste and see that the Lord is good. And his name is Jesus, only Jesus. Will you stand to respond?